Good to be here. Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to greet you, I hope I get the opportunity at some point today. Uh, many of you guys know this past fall, our family got a new puppy. And uh, I think we've got a picture of our puppy up here. And um, our, our puppy's name is Piper. And we love this puppy. She's just got this hair that grows all over the place. And, and uh, she is so energetic uh, and, and fun. One of the cool things about our puppy uh, recently, um, she started catching mice. And it seems like every day she's catching one or two, which just proves the point why we don't need the other four-legged creature around our house. This dog is amazing. Uh, no offense to any other four-legged animal. But I, I was thinking about our puppy, and I was thinking about how there's some similarity, similarities between this puppy and ourselves. Like, this puppy is, is wonderful. We love her. Um, and she knows things, but the question is, does she really know it? So, you know, for example, we've been working on the potty thing, you know, and she's five months old. And uh, most of the time, she's got the potty thing figured out. Like, most of the time, she knows what to do. Go to the door, get our attention, go and do her business outside. But every once in a while, she has an accident. She has this accident. And what happens is when somebody finds the accident, usually by stepping on it, the, the comic goes, Piper! And Piper runs. She runs and hides anywhere she can. She'll go underneath the, 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 the kitchen table because she knows we've got to move tables, move chairs and get underneath. She'll run and run underneath the boys' bed because, again, you don't want to go under a boys' bed. But she knows that's a safe place to run and, and hide and, and, and cower. I mean, I, I think our puppy, I think she gets it. I think she knows, like, what she's supposed to do. But she doesn't really, all the time, get it and do it. And, and, and she, she, she knows it, but she hasn't completely embraced it. it isn't, isn't that the same thing with you and I? How sometimes we, 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 we have this head knowledge. Okay, this is what it's supposed to look like. But sometimes in our heart, it's a little bit harder to, to actually live that out. I mean, thinking, thinking about this. Like, how many of us know, like, exercise is good for us, right? How many of us would know the exercise? And, and, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to actually get up in the morning and decide I'm going to actually go and do that. I'm going to go and exercise. My wife and I were talking this past week, and she was talking about Taco Bell. And she said, Kevin, do you know how bad Taco Bell is for you? And I said, yes, it absolutely is. And guess what I did this week? I got a Crunchwrap Supreme and a Doritos Loco Taco. I mean, I did it. I know it's not good for me. Like, like, like I know it, but, but like deep down, I just haven't quite embraced that. There's a difference between having a, a head knowledge about something and actually having a, a heart knowledge that it, it changes the way you live. It changes how you act and, and believe and, 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 and live. Same thing happens within uh, our faith. Like some of us can be in this situation today and you're saying, you know, I, I used to come to church for years and I, and I sat and I knew the answers. I knew the Sunday school answers. I knew that God loves me. But it's like it never sank in. It, it didn't sink in to my heart until years later. And this is where we can go and we can know so many things about Christianity. But sometimes we can miss it deep down because we've got this head knowledge but somehow we haven't connected it to our heart. And honestly, sometimes it seems like our head and our heart, 
which don't seem very far apart. It really feels like there's these, these mile-long chasms between our head and our heart. That we have a hard time connecting these things together to actually living it out. So, uh, if, if you're new with us, we started last week a series on Psalm 139. Uh, a series that we are calling Identity. And we're having a conversation where we can deal with, with where does our identity come from? Does the culture around us define us? Or do we have some other standard that, that becomes the basis for our identity? And so when we look at Psalm 139, this is a great psalm to look at about our identity. Because this psalm is all about God and it's all about us. And so David, he wrote this, this psalm and, and, and he wrote about these attributes of God. These things about God's character. That he, last week we saw that God is omniscient. It means God is, has got all sorts of knowledge, knows all things. Today we're going to look and see that God's uh, omnipresent. Which means God is, is present everywhere always. Next week we're going to see God's omnipotence. Uh, looking at God's power. And what we're going to do is as we begin to understand more about God's character. As we begin to understand more about who God is. And, and what's interesting about God's character is God's character is not like our character. Like our character, like we can say I'm going to be consistent, but oftentimes we're not. And there's, there's little changes to our character. But God is, is not like this. God never changes. And so as we begin to wrestle and understand God's character, this helps us to understand us. Because God who created us, God who, who made us in his image begins to portray a certain way that our identity is supposed to be based upon. And, and, and so when we understand who God is, when we have this beyond just the head knowledge, when we understand in our heart about who God is and how he created us, man, this is where our identity becomes built on, on God and his word and not on the way that the culture around us tells us or not the way that we feel in the moment. So last week, we looked at the first six verses of Psalm 139. And, and we dealt with this idea about God's omniscience, about how God knows all things. And this is where, like, we can try and, and show just certain parts of our life where we don't want everybody to know everything. Uh, but, but we saw that God knows everything about us. We saw last week that every, every action that we have, from sunup to sundown, God knows that action. Uh, we saw that God knows the words that are going to come out of our mouth even before they come. And, and I have that problem where I don't think about things sometimes and I just speak. And it's a surprise what comes out of my mouth. It's never a surprise to God. In fact, he even goes a little bit further and says God knows every thought that we have and every motive behind our thinking. There's nothing hidden from God. And we said, well, what does this lead to? If we realize that there's nothing hidden from God, like what did that lead to shame? Like, how many of us would be ashamed if God knew all of these things about us? But this is where the key part was last week. Verse 5, uh, David wrote and said, God, you hem me in and behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This laying of the hand is a sign of, of blessing. This is an offer of, of protection, of acceptance. And this is where when we understand that God knows everything about us, yet he still loves us. He still accepts us. Like that changes, and that becomes the root of our identity. That, that, that who we are, not who we really are deep down, God knows that. And he still loves us and accepts us. Today, a little different topic. Um, uh, dealing with this idea about I can be known. 
And one of the surprising things uh, that I think about our society right now, in our world, there are more people living in the world today than any other time in history. Uh, That's just where we are. In our world, we've got all sorts of uh, people at our fingertips. We've got social media on our fingertips, and we've got all these things we can find on our phones. We've got all sorts of technology of ways that we can communicate with people. We can text them. We can phone call them. We can FaceTime them and see them face to face. We've got all sorts of ways to communicate with people. But isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that after a long day at work, like I can walk into my house and I've got five kids and a beautiful wife. Isn't it crazy that after a long day at work, I can walk in to my house of seven people and still feel completely alone? I mean, isn't that crazy to think about where we are as our culture? Isn't it crazy to think about it in in a room this size of a hundred people? Isn't it crazy to think that we can walk into a room with a hundred people and say, man, I feel alone. Like, I I just don't feel connected. It's crazy to think that we live in a city of a hundred thousand people. There are a hundred thousand people in Yakima. And and the odds are that somebody's going to like you. But how, how true is it that we can feel alone even in our city? See, loneliness is something that happens all the time. Loneliness happens uh, when you've got a mom who, who, who decided when she was young, I'm going to go and change the world. I'm going to go and, and, and make my mark into the world. And then most of her time nowadays is spent wiping noses and changing dirty diapers. You can imagine the loneliness that feels comes from being at home all day When you had all these dreams and now this is what your life is looking like. Loneliness happens when the man or woman who goes to work. And they go to work for this company and they have all these promises, right? And then all of a sudden the company begins to say, well, no, that's not really how we operate. And they begin to change the way things are. And then you begin to feel really alone. Like this isn't what I am here for. I I didn't sign on for this. And you begin to feel all alone. You feel alone when you reach out to somebody. Say, hey, let's go do this. Let's go, let's go be friends. And it's not reciprocated. And it's kind of turned back on you. And you kind of feel like, man, where am I at here? Uh, loneliness happens when, when the depression comes. And you've got the mental health issues. And, and all of a sudden, Satan begins to fill our minds. Satan begins to fill our minds with all sorts of lies. Like, you are the only one. The only one who's ever gone through this. And you begin to feel all alone. Like no one else knows what it's like to be in shoes like you. Loneliness happens even in marriage. Because you've got these marriage relationships where you've just got the season where everything's busy and you're not really connecting on an emotional level. Uh, you know, you've got this season where, where maybe at one point your, your spouse, they showed you all sorts of interest and all sorts of attention when you were dating. And then you get married and things begin to slow down. And they aren't loving you the way that you feel like you sh- they should. And you kind of forget, man, we don't have very much in common anymore. And pretty soon, you're sleeping in bed next to your spouse and you feel completely alone, even though somebody's within feet of you. This is what loneliness is. And this is something that I think we understand about our culture, is, is we understand that, that even as an outgoing person, even as an as a outgoing personality, like I can still walk into a place and still feel alone. There's a guy by the name of Hubert Van Zeller. And when you've got a name like that, you've got to have your quote read on the screen. So Hubert Van Zeller said this. He said, the soul hardly ever realizes it. But whether he is a believer or not, 
his loneliness is really a homesickness for God. See, when we're thinking about this idea about loneliness, really what it comes down to is, is what's your relationship like with God? Really is what it comes down to. So in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, we're going to deal with this idea that, that you and I are never alone. Even at the times that we feel we're alone, we are never alone because we have an omni, um, um, <laughs> we have a we have a God who is everywhere at all the time. And so the goal today is that you and I would, would not be like Piper. We wouldn't just have this head knowledge of, uh, that God is present at all times, omnipresent, but that we would have a heart knowledge that God is with us all the time. So if you have a Bible, I invite you, Psalm 139. And we'll also have the words on the screen behind me. And if you would do me a favor again this morning and stand with me as I, as I read. And if you stand with me, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Psalm 139, verse, verses uh, 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, thank you for just this opportunity to be gathered here uh, today, to be able to open up your word. And God, I pray that as we wrestle with these ideas about, about where our identity is and how to, to establish our identity in your word, God, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would draw us uh, deeper in love with you. That, God, we would look into our heart for the areas that our identity is, is, is based on what the culture says, and that we would allow, God, today your word to influence you, us. God, we pray for your spirit on us now, Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So the, go ahead and have a seat. There's, there's three things I want us to understand from this passage about the fact that we are never alone. The first one, the first one is the, the, the presence of God is inescapable. The presence of God is inescapable. Verse 7, this is what David writes. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? You kind of think, well, what's the anticipated answer to that question? Is this kind of like David? Uh, is this, obviously David lived 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago. There's no Facebook back then. Is this David trying to write his friends out to say, hey, give me a recommendation. Where can I go? Where can I hide? Where can I run? No, it's kind of a rhetorical question. He's asking a question as if we should already assume we know what the answer is. Seeking to, to be free of God's presence in any direction is, is foolish. It's kind of like trying to escape the heat by going to the center of the fire. That's the point that, that David is asking, uh, or is making by asking this question. And to, to show that, what David's going to do is he's going to use uh, a merism. We talked about what a, mer a merism is last week. A merism is a figure of speech meant to show totality. And so what David is going to do is he's asked this rhetorical question, where can we go to flee from God, to hide from God? And he's going to say, hey, look, here's these merisms. God knows everywhere. God is present everywhere in the middle, giving us the idea that there's nowhere we can get away from God. So verse 8, the merism, he says, 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Shoal, you are there. He says, if I were to go up to the heavens, we're not thinking about heaven like, 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 the, like where we go when we die. We're thinking about just the skies above. If I go up into the heavens, God, your presence in there. And on that complete opposite side, he says, if I make my bed in Shoal. That's what the, the, the ESV says, Shoal. The NIV t- translates that word as the depths. The King James translates that word as hell. And, and, and it doesn't really mean uh, literally the place of hell. It means the place of the dead. And often related to, to where we bury the dead. And the idea that David is trying to say is if we go up to the heavens, God, you are there. And if we go down to, to the center of the earth, to, to, to the underground, God, you are still there. There's, there's nowhere in the middle that, that God's presence doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, come. This is the point he's trying to make. Verse 9, Merizim, he says, and this is very poetic and beautiful. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. See, when he says the, the wings of the morning, uh, this is the idea about, about the morning. The sun rises on which side? Sun rises on the east. He's saying, if I were to, if I were to uh, uh, pull a, a Star Wars, and if I were to ride those sunbeams in uh, from the speed of light uh, coming from the east, if I were to go as far as where that sun begins to show, God, you are there. I guess east is this way. There we go. Let me get my, my directions right. If I go as far as that sun is, God is there. And then the other side, he says, he says, um, he, uh, he, he says, the uttermost parts of the sea. Okay, this is, this, is, this is for someone in Jerusalem, the uttermost parts of the sea. The sea was on the west side. And it was as far as you could see. You couldn't see past the water out there. And so he's kind of got this idea that, that, that you've got the east over here, the sun rising. Over here you've got the west and you've got the sea. And, and the sea is a scary place. It's, it's much scarier in those days than it was today. These were not a seagoing people. The, the sea was a great unknown. There was no carnival cruise ships that you could go and explore the sea. The, I mean, they kind of thought that once you got over that horizon, like it dropped off the face of the earth. And so you have this idea, as far as the east and the west goes, David's saying, God's presence is there. And so he's covered up and down. He's covered east and west. This idea that there is nowhere that we can escape God's presence. That God's presence is inescapable. The point that David is trying to make is this theological term that God is, is omnipresent. Okay? Omnipresent is a term that means that God is everywhere always. That's what it means. God is everywhere always. He is everywhere present all the time. Now the hard thing when we begin to think about this, think about this idea about God being everywhere always, we have a hard time grasping it because we... Our, our finite people, well, we're human beings. We can't be in more than one place at once. Like, we wish we could. Well, we, we wish we could be at two places at once, but we can't. We're just not physically able to. And we're not the only people who can't be in two places at once. Uh, Satan and, 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 and angels and, 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 and demons, they're in the same situation as ours. They're not omnipresent. You might say, well, well I've never heard that before. Well, Satan and angels and demons, they're all created beings. And created beings 
they are not God. And we say, well, well, I thought Satan, maybe he was like a lesser form of God. No, Satan is not a lesser form of God. Either you're God or you're not. Either you're omnipresent or you're not. And as a created being, uh, Satan and, and angels and demons, they are not omnipresent. They can't be all places at once like God can. And so to understand this idea about God's, uh, um, uh, God's omnipresence is think about, think about the air that you breathe. Okay, we're breathing air that's been circulated through the, the system here at the seasons. Now, normally the air that you breathe is odorless. It, it's tasteless. It's invisible. Unless you go to Sunnyside, right? So I went to Sunnyside for a track meet this last week to watch my son run. And that air is not odorless and it is not tasteless. I'm just saying that. Forgive me for saying that if you're from Sunnyside. If you've been to Los Angeles, you know that, that you can see the air there. You see the smog. But most of the time, air is odorless and it's invisible. And you don't, you, don't, you don't think about it. You don't think about the air that you breathe. Yet, we depend on that air for our existence. Without that air, we can't exist. And this is the same way it is with God. God's presence is all around us. And listen, if God's presence was withdrawn from us, none of us could survive for one moment without him. And most of us, if we're going to be honest, we're going to understand, well, I, I get that. Like, my head understands that. God is present everywhere. Okay, I mean, that, that's one of the attributes. Okay, I can understand that about God, and I can have this head knowledge. But the question is, is that head knowledge that God is everywhere always, is it connected to our heart? Is there a connection between what we know to be true and actually what we and how we live? Because honestly, if we know it, why is it we sometimes try and run away from God? Have we ever tried to run away from God? I have. More than once. Why is it we try and run away and hide from God? We hide and we say, well, you know, I'm just going to—maybe I'm not going to hide. Maybe I'll just ignore God. And I'll just get really busy so I don't have to focus on God. I don't have to deal with that. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll medicate myself in some sort of way with, with alcohol or maybe with Netflix. And I'll just somehow just try and avoid God altogether. See, the story of Jonah is an example of that. Jonah's a prophet of God. Of course, he knows his theology. Of course, he knows that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere always. And, and, and what did Jonah do? God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And, jo Nineveh, and Jonah says, no, that's, that's our enemy. That's like, sending, that's like sending a Seahawks fan to become a Carolina Panthers fan. There's no way that I'm going to allow this to happen. These are hated people. I'm not going to do that. So Jonah 1.3 says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. See, Jonah he, 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 know, he knew that God is omnipresent. He knew that God is everywhere always. Yet he still tried to run because there's a disconnect from the head and the heart. And we find out through the story of Jonah, we know that God is present everywhere always. We know that God is present in the storm. We know that God is present in the belly of a fish. We know that God is present everywhere. So why is it? Why is it that we have this hard time um, allowing this head knowledge that God is everywhere to connect to our heart. Why does that identity in us go wrong? That we feel like, God, you're not really there. It's because if you think about what we studied last week, 
Last week, there was two parts to that idea that, that God uh, knows us deeply. Okay, the first part was, was God knows everything about us. God knows us just as we are. Okay, that's, that's easier for us to believe. Okay, God has that knowledge. I get that. But the second part sometimes is a little bit harder for us to believe. The second part is that God accepts me and that God loves me. See, those two things have to go together. The fact that God knows us and the fact that God loves us and accepts us. Okay, I think it's easier for us to believe this and harder for us to believe this. And when it's uh, dealing with this idea about God being everywhere, I think it's easy for us to believe that. But it's a harder to believe what that means for us. Because what that means for us, second thing I want us to learn today, is that you and I are never beyond God's care. You and I, if God is really everywhere, always, you and I are never beyond God's care. Here's what David writes. He says, he says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He says, no matter where you are, no matter where we are, God's hand is going to be there to lead us and to hold us. Now, I don't know about you, but those are good terms, right? Like we want someone who's going to lead us. We want someone who's going to hold on to us and say, I got you. I'm not letting you go. I got you, man. And honest, just about every day we face, we could use one of those things from God. We could benefit from knowing that God is there to lead us. See, God's presence to lead us means, what does a leader do? A leader guides. A leader gives direction. A leader encourages us. Like how many of us would go through life and, and say, man, we've got a decision in front of us. Man, I wish I had a leader who was there to walk alongside me, to give me insight, to encourage me in the right thing. Man, that's exactly what, what David says God does. God leads us. He, he, he gives us direction. But you know the other thing a leader does? Sometimes a leader has to bring us back on track. Sometimes when we start going the wrong direction, a leader writes the ship and gets us going back in the right direction. And if we're in this idea that sometimes we get into sin, and if we understand that God is with us always, then knowing that God's presence is there, he's not there to, to, to bring a hammer down on us. He's there to, to lead us back to where we're supposed to be. In fact, I, I heard about this college student. This college student, he was a ladies' man, real ladies' man, you know. So his phone rings, and he picks up his phone, and, and, and he lowers his voice. Talk to me, baby. And then he, you see his face turn red, and he's like, oh, hi, Mom. And, uh, you, know, you know, a mom's presence kind of has this way of straightening out a, a son's behavior. And how much more should knowing that God is present with us Encourage us to straighten out our behavior. That God would lead us to where we're supposed to be, to the right way of living. But not only does God's presence lead us, but also he says he holds us. He holds us. Now, isn't there some days that we just need someone to hold on to us? Someone to say, I got you. Someone to say, I love you. Somebody to say, I'm on your side. In fact, there's a story uh, about me growing up. I had these, these, these neighbors up the road for me, uh, the Henses, and a really good family. They had a son that was my age. And so we were, I don't know, nine or ten years old. And I don't know if you ever saw one of these pogo balls. I got a picture of one of those pogo balls. 
Uh, those are from the, the, the 80s, 90s, okay, just dated me. But there are these great little balls that were basically a, a rubber playground ball and had a little platform on it. And you kind of ju- and you jump on it, right? Uh, you young kids, I don't know if you guys had the privilege of these sorts of things, but this is what we grew up with. And uh, my buddy had one of these, and, and of course, as boys, you never play with something the way it's supposed to be. So we came up with a game that we could roll it on edge and see who could roll it the farthest, all right? And I was a world record holder at that point. Like, I, I was setting records for how good I was. So we were, we were in my friend's backyard, and, and he got a roll, and his roll went just a little bit farther than mine. And I was angry. I was like, no way are you going to win. So I got ready, and I put that thing on its edge, and I rolled it, and it was rolling good until it started curving. And it kept curving, and it curved right into the house and hit their basement window and cracked the basement window. And I did, I did what any smart, intelligent, charming 10-year-old boy would do. I started crying, and I ran down the house to my house. I flung the door open. I slammed it behind me. I ran past my mom. She was like, what's going on? And I dove underneath my bed, and I pulled the blankets over uh, the edge of the bed so nobody could see me. I was hiding. I was hiding. A couple minutes later, I hear the doorbell. Then I hear my mom, Kevin! I heard that often when I was growing up. So I heard that name called, and I didn't come. I was hiding. My mom walks in, and there's another set of feet with her. My mom picks up the little sheet off the bed. Says, Kevin, can you pick your head, poke your head out? I poke my head out, and there standing next to my mom was my friend's mom. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm in for it. And she looks at me and she says, Kevin, you don't have to run away. It's okay. You're, it's just a window. It's, it, it's fixable. It's just a window. Listen, you're, you're accepted. You're welcome back to our house. You are, you are loved by us. We want you around. You don't have to run and hide. You are still cared for. You're still loved. That's called restoration. And isn't that, isn't that what we want? And isn't it good to know that there is a God who holds on to us, who says, I got you. It's okay. I forgive you. I've, I'm welcoming you back. I'm bringing you back into restoration with, with me and with the community. I want you here. You don't have to run and hide. God's presence is around us, and we have this ability to have restoration from him. And, but, but the problem is so many times we forget that that's the kind of God he is. We think, no, God, you're the God who's going to be there and he's going to be zapping people, you know, looking to, to destroy people. Now, that's not the kind of God that we serve. We have a God who's a God of restoration, who, who desires to redeem and forgive and bring back. And this is where we have to understand we have to stop running. We have to stop hiding. We have to stop trying to fight against God. Because I tell you, the moment you stop running from God, the moment you stop fighting God, man, what kind of restoration is at your door? What kind of redemption story is God ready to write if you and I would just stop running from him and hiding from him and understand who he is? He's not a God here to judge you. He's a God to redeem you, to to love you, to forgive you, to bring you back. See, it's not enough for us just to know. This is why I think it's so hard for us to understand. It's not enough just for us to know that God is with us. But we've also got to understand that God is there 
to lead us and to hold us. I think that's the harder thing for us to accept and to believe. Like we can get that God is everywhere. But do we really believe that God is there to lead us? And God is there to hold us? Because listen, that's where, that's where restoration is found. That's where redemption is found. That's where our identity comes from. The fact that God is everywhere. And he's there to lead us and to hold us. There's one other thing about God's omnipresence that I think uh, is valuable for us to hear. And David's going to say the same thing. Is sometimes we go through life and uh, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. There is sin uh, throughout our world. There's hard times that happens. Am I right? And in those times when, when hard things happen, when things happen that we don't have an answer for, we begin to question and the question becomes, God, where are you? God, where are you? Like, how could this bad thing happen? Uh, you, you, I'm not sure if you saw on the news this past week. There was a 14-year-old boy, 14 years old, who was shot to death in Yakima this past week. 14 years old. My wife and I last week, or the week before, we read about uh, the, the, the ter- last terrorist attack in Paris. It happened on the very same road that we walked down just a month before. This is where you and I, we, we've prayed prayers. We, we, we've laid out our deepest concerns of our heart to God. God, God, there's this, this person I love. God, would you heal them? God, there's this, this broken relationship. God, would you reconcile this relationship? God, this is my deepest desire. Would you give me a friend? Would you give me a significant other? God, would you, would you do this for me? And then what happens when that prayer seems unanswered? The person's health doesn't get better. The relationship continues to deteriorate. And the deepest wish that you ask God for doesn't show up. The question that we end up coming with in that moment is, God, where are you? God, are you even here? God, are you real? Do you, do you, do you hear me? I'm, I'm crying out to you, God. God, where are you? It's hard for us to understand where God is in those moments. But here's the third thing David's teaching us about God's presence is that God is with me even in the darkest places of life. Listen, God is with you even in the darkest places of life. Here's what he says in verse 11. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. See, when he begins to talk about darkness, we understand darkness uh, is a symbolism for evil. And he was saying, when that darkness, when the darkness covers me, when the darkness hides me. Now, this word that we see in our uh, ESV standard, uh, ESV version covers, can also be translated hides in another version. But the Hebrew word is shuf, and it only appears three times in the entire Bible. Three times in the Old Testament, okay? The first time you see this word uh, is in Genesis chapter 3, the first proclamation of the gospel. Genesis 3.15, where, 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 where the proclamation of the gospel is that Jesus will right the sin that Satan brought into the world. Okay, and the word there is translated and it says that Jesus will bruise Satan's head, Satan's head, and Satan will bruise, uh, Jesus will bruise Satan's heel. Okay, I got that backwards. Okay, Jesus will bruise Satan's head and Satan will bruise Jesus's heel. There we go, now I got it right. Okay, that word is translated there in, in verse chapter, Genesis 3.15 as bruise. The other time you see this word is in Job chapter 9, uh, where Job talks about being crushed, okay? 
So the idea is in this fallen world, this darkness, this evil, it doesn't just cover us. No, it crushes us. It bruises us. It comes crashing down. And there are times in life where you feel like that, that darkness is just crushing us. The evil is just bearing down on us where, where we say it's just crushing me. I can't, I, I can't handle it. I don't know how much more I can hold. Where, where it seems like when that darkness happens, like any light turns to dark. And we're left in the moment where we're just grasping. Grasping for hope. Grasping for God. God, how do I get through this? God, God, I don't understand where you are. I don't understand why this is happening. And this is where we begin to say, God, where are you? Now, there's a way to look at this. Um, when we're going through that times of hardship, like we can look and, and throw that first, next screen up there, uh, Enrique. See, we see God is, is N-O-W-H-E-R-E. I think we've done this before. And we can look and see this in a couple different ways when we're going through times of hardship and struggle. The first way we, we can look and we say, well, God is, go and show the next one. You say, well, God is nowhere. Like God isn't here. Like I'm going through this hardship. God, you're not here. Those same letters, if you go ahead and show that one more time there, Enrique. God is now here. And that time of hardship when the evil is crushing you, when the darkness is crushing you. This is what David would say. God is now here. He writes in the encouragement in that season where darkness is overwhelming. As he writes in verse 12, even the darkness, it's not dark to you, God. The night is as bright as day for darkness is as light to you. See, I can't explain why hard things always happen. I don't always have an answer as to why bad things happen to good people. This side of eternity, we're not going to have a complete understanding. But I can say, the only way I know that any of us would survive those hard times is to know that God is with us. To know that God is with us. In fact, there's, there's a, a buddy of mine, uh, many of you would know this buddy, who's been going just... He had a very devastating, uh, tragic thing that happened in his life. And there was a death that was just, just horrendous. And I, and I was thinking about my friend. I was thinking, man, what do, how do I encourage him? And so I texted him. I said, hey, how are, how are you doing? You know, are you doing all right? And my, and my buddy, he texted back. And he said, this is difficult. But he said, my hope and my trust is in Christ. He will get my family and I through this. Listen, that is the truth of God's presence. And that is the truth that it is absolutely necessary for us if we are going to survive. That it is God's presence that gets us through the dark times. Because when we look and say, God, this is overwhelming, God says it's not. I got this. I'm with you. I'm walking alongside you. I'm getting you through this. And this is what we have to understand is when the darkness happens, when the things fall apart, listen, we live in a fallen world, it's going to happen. Do you understand that God's presence is walking through the middle of that with you? That you are not alone. And this is something that we have to complete, we have to uh, repeatedly remind ourselves of. This is something my buddy has to remind himself daily. I'm not alone. God, you're getting me through this. God, you're leading me. God, you're, you're holding on to me. I'm going to get through this because of you, God. Because it's so easy for us to forget. This is why we've got to come back and keep hearing this idea. God's presence is with us. He's there to love us, to hold us, to lead us. Because it is so easy for us to forget. 
And I want to close just with, with one more way to look at God's presence, to look at this. And when we learn and we understand how important God's presence is for us, that you and I are never alone. We don't have to fear God's presence because God's presence is there to, to lead us and, and to hold on to us. But I think it's important that we look not just at, at, at that. It's, it's good for us to know. But I want us to see that God's presence becoming an, an example for us. See, we've got this mission to know Christ, and to make Christ known. To make Christ known to the people around us. In our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. This is our job, is to make Christ known. Listen, the most tangible way for us to make Christ known is to extend our presence to people who are hurting. Extend our presence to people who need a friend. How you care for people speaks volume, volumes about God's love. When we begin to look and say, man, what is it that gets somebody through? Is God's presence. Like, what if we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of God to somebody else? And I'm just thinking about my buddy, and I'm thinking, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Like, like, you're not trained in Bible college for this. They didn't tell me this is how you handle a devastating circumstance. And I found really the only thing that I could do is just to say, man, I'm here. If you need someone, I, I, I'm here. I'm with you. I'll listen. I'll throw punches. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'm with you, man. And this is for us. If we understand the importance of knowing that God is with us, like we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet to the people around us. The people that are hurting in our schools, the people that are hurting in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, even the people right here. The people in our church. You say, well, well I'm looking at my church, I'm looking at these people and say, man, I don't really know them. Man, what if you just gave them your presence? What if you just gave them your availability he said, listen, I'm here. You ever want to talk, I'm here for you. Because I tell you what, we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people around us. And isn't that good? All right, let's pray. God, just want to thank you for who you are and thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation about uh, just your presence and helping us to understand that, God, your presence isn't something we have to fear. But God, your presence is something that we can celebrate. Because God, you are always there to lead us when we need leading. To guide us. To give us direction. To give us encouragement. To give us insight. And that God, your presence is always there to hold on to us. And those times where it feels like nobody else is there, God, your presence always is. You are always there to hold us. To say, I love you. I got you. And God, thinking about anybody who's got the darkness that just seems all around them, or even the day, the things that should be light, seem so dark today. God, I pray that your presence would just engulf them. And God, you help them to, to take this head knowledge that, God, you are with them always, to bring it to their heart. To understand that, God, you are here with us. God, you are walking through the darkness with me. You are leading me. You are guiding me. You are holding me. God, I pray that you help us as a church to, to move from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. That this would be part of our identity. 
That God, those times that we feel alone, those times that we feel like I've got to do something, we have to understand we don't have to do something because God, your presence is already there. Your presence has already been extended to us and you are there to lead us and to love us. God, I thank you for just this chance to be challenged through your word and I just pray for anybody here today that's in that season where they need guidance, they need direction. But today they'd cry out and say, God, thank you for your presence. Would you meet me here now? God, for those that just need to be reminded today that they are held by you, that you are with them today, that God, they would cry out and say, thank you, God. Thank you for holding on to me when I need it. And God, I pray as a church, you help us to see those around us who are hurting, see those around us who are lonely. That God, you give us that passion to be your hands and your feet to love people the way that you love them. And that, God, you would use us to speak a volume about who you are to them. God, I pray that you help us to be your hands and feet this week. Jesus, we love you and praise you, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.